Over the years, I've marveled at how God moves people and how he leads us in different ways, all for his glory and often in different places. Some of you are here today for the first time because you believe God led you to come here. We're glad that you're here today. And sometimes God leads us to go to places that are hard and difficult. And this morning, I want to acknowledge the work of God in the life of Sean, Amber, Elijah, Lucas, and Annalise Jacobs. Could you guys stand? They're sitting in the back over there. I'm going to have them stand. Let me tell you a little bit about them. It was a storm that brought them to Edgewood. Remember when Derecho came through? After Derecho came, they went out for a walk. They had just moved here. Um, You work on the arsenal, and they didn't know many people. They're looking at all the storm damage. They head over to a neighborhood, and there's an Edgewood member out in the front picking up her sticks And they started having a conversation. She invited you guys, that was Shirley Phillips, invited them to come to Edgewood. Previously, they had served in Germany. God brought them here to the Quad Cities. God brought you guys to Edgewood. And this is your last weekend here as God now has called you back to Germany uh, well, you'll be serving three different military bases, and they're part of our church family. And I said, I'd love to have you come in at least our Sunday services just so we can acknowledge you, and we send you off now in the power of God for his purposes as you continue to live on mission. Let's give them a hand, shall we? You, you can go ahead and slip out. I know you were here for the first service, but uh, we love you guys. So this week, I, yeah, this week I came across a rare photo. This is a photo of a TV remote control from the 60s and the 70s. This brought back memories for me. <laughs> it kind of looks like Marty Mills, doesn't it? brought back memories for me of some of my favorite after-school TV shows like Hogan's Heroes, like Lost in Space, Beverly Hillbillies, and of course, Gilligan's Island. Interestingly, each of these classic shows dealt with people who were lost or out of place. Last week, I referenced part of the Gilligan's Island theme song, and for our passage today, well, some additional lyrics came to mind. That song is like in my head. I can't get rid of it, right? Well, I'm not going to sing it for you, but here are the lyrics. The ship set ground on the shore of this uncharted desert island. Well, we've been journeying with the Apostle Paul through the book of Acts, and we're nearing the end. We'll finish up, Lord willing, next weekend. As we journeyed through Acts chapter 27 last weekend, we established this truth, and I hope this is true for you. In the storms of life, make sure you have an anchor for your soul. And we have extra copies of those 20 storm lessons out on a table in the lobby. You can also access them by going to the Sermon Extras tab, either on our mobile app or website. So after the ship ran aground on a sandbar, the stern, the back of the boat, was demolished by the pounding of the surf. 
And I can imagine the centurion, the Roman officer in charge, barking out orders, saying something like this, if you know how to swim, go for it. If not, grab a plank or other debris and kick like crazy to make your way to shore. Now I'm sure the cold autumn water took their breath away. It probably made their muscles spasm. And when their feet finally hit the beach, they look around, they do a head count, and all 276 passengers were alive, even though the mighty minnow was lost. (laughs) Well, out of honor for God's word, I'm going to invite you to stand. It helps us focus a little bit better. We're also standing because we're underneath God's authority And I'm going to read God's word now, and let me remind us that this is no ordinary book. This is God's living, active book. It's sharp. It is comfort, and some of you need comfort today. God will use his word to bring encouragement to those of us who are feeling down. Some of us are playing around with sin. God will use his word today to get our attention. And to come to the cross and confess that sin, to repent of it. And God will use his word today to equip us that we might live on mission for him and for his glory. Listen now as I read. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. By the way, people say the Bible's boring. I say, have you read it? (laughs) When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, took, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and they saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Verse 7, now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, were given his name, Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. God, help us now to understand your word, to interpret it accurately. And Lord, help us now to participate in what you're going to do through the Holy Spirit as he is our teacher. Take your word and apply it to our lives and give us the power then to live out what you have for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Here's our main point today. I hope we all get this. God can do anything when you give him everything. 
And I see 10 lessons that we can learn from our passage. Number one, trust God to keep his promises because he's a promise-keeping God. So previously, God had promised Paul that he would testify before Caesar in Rome. In addition, he told Paul that none of the passengers or crew would be lost. I mean, the ship was lost. It was destroyed. But all the sailors, all the prisoners were delivered. We see that in verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. They were happy to hear that they were beached on Malta because Malta was part of Rome, meaning that they were under Rome's protection. The name Malta meant flowing with honey as a place of refuge. Incidentally, the spot where they shipwrecked is today called the Bay of St. Paul. Now, the island of Malta is only 17 miles long, nine miles wide, so it's incredible how God providentially steered that ship in the middle of a storm to land on that small strip of land in that part of the Mediterranean. Get this, which at that point was 375 miles wide. I had an experience on Friday, uh, just a reminder that God can do anything. Beth and I were in the Chicago area on Friday and Saturday. Friday, we met with Ray and Marlene Pritchard, and when it was time for lunch, I got out my phone and got my Chipotle app out and ordered some food for Beth and I, and we found a restaurant. We drove a few miles, found the restaurant. I went in to pick up the bag. As I'm leaving the store, there's a guy in front of me. He holds the door for me. I say, thank you. As we walk out, I'm behind him. He turns to the left. He sees a woman coming in. By the way, this happened 150 miles from here. He sees a woman coming in wearing an Iowa sweatshirt. So he says to her, Iowa, where in Iowa are you from? She says, the Quad Cities. He says, the Quad Cities? I was just in the Quad Cities. To which I said, I live in the Quad Cities. It just made me thank God for that moment, a reminder that God can do anything. And God is, he uses his providence. He uses circumstances. He puts people in places for his purposes because God can do anything. Settle that, church. Number two, exhibit unusual kindness. In a world filled with war, and vitriolic verbiage, and that's not just on social media, but boy, it's there, right? But it's also interpersonally. It's like we've all become angry. We attack, we go after people, and we're not gracious with people. In a time like that, compassionate kindness stands out. We see that right here in verse 2. The native people showed us, notice, unusual kindness. The word native is the word barbarians. But don't think savages. That word was just used of non-Greek-speaking people. The word kindness is where we get philanthropy or the love of people. 
This kindness was unusual. Why? Well, here's why. Because normally natives captured or killed any castaways that rolled up on the beach of the island. They didn't do that. Michael Mark adds this. It can be an extraordinary kindness or it can be an ordinary kindness shown with an uncommon attitude. So get this. They didn't understand each other's language. Because the islanders did not speak Greek, the Maltese and the castaways could not communicate verbally. However, these islanders spoke the language of love. And because the storm survivors were drenched and shivering, the natives made a fire. They provided refuge for the refugees. In addition to being soaked from the storms they had been through and the shipwreck and being in the ocean, they're now up on the beach. It is, the Bible tells us, it had begun to rain and it was cold. It's late fall, a time when it rained a lot on Malta. It was frigid. So that campfire was an unusual act of kindness because it warmed them both physically and emotionally. That word welcome refers to taking by the hand and receiving deliberately. Oh, much like what's taking place in Poland and other countries as people receive those fleeing from the war in Ukraine. That's what Mark and Sarah Drake have done for their Ukrainian friends. Sasha and Sophia and Lucas and Emma. And we're going to hear from them in a few minutes. Friends, lock in. So many people today are cold. They're shivering because of the storms they're living through. And sin has caused others to be shipwrecked. And they're looking for us They're looking for the warmth that Christians can provide. So let me say this. Let's not be cold or chilly toward those who are being battered by the storms of life. Number three, work hard on a team with others. Verse three shows how Paul, even though he was an apostle, worked hard with his Hands. I'm in the first part of verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. That word for bundle, it's not like just picked up a few sticks. It's like a huge bundle. So Paul's jumping in and he's working. He's throwing the sticks on the fire. I think of our GO team down in Belize this past week. I followed along like many of you did on Facebook, saw pictures, saw videos of what they were doing. They not only accomplished everything that they were hoping to finish, they even did unexpected bonus work. Here are some of the pictures, and some of the guys who went down, there were 10 of them, are in this service. There were some in the other services, but if you were part of that team, would you stand? We just want to show our appreciation uh, for you. Go ahead and stand. All right, we got a couple over here. Yeah, over here, fantastic. Glory to God. This is really uh, exciting for me because these guys built this 
facility where our students will be going down in July to lead vacation Bible school in this place to two or three hundred kids. Now, Paul did not consider himself to be above others, nor was he afraid to work. We saw that in Acts chapter 20, verses thir- verse 34, Paul says, you yourselves know, and I imagine he's got his hands out because he says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities, he was a tent maker, and to those who were with me. I like what Chuck Swindoll says about this. Paul wasn't sitting around drinking out of a coconut under a palm tree. <laughs> he was after it, brothers and sisters. If you're saved, you've been saved to serve, not to sit and soak. You've been saved to serve. God wants to use you. He wants to use me for his purposes. Now, I'm glad we have a church work day coming up this coming Saturday morning. Friends, God can do anything when you give him everything. Number four, expect opposition. I appreciate one pastor's perspective. He writes, many people have had a false gospel marketed to them with a message that if they will just believe on Jesus and have faith, then nothing bad will happen in their lives. That's why so many of them depart from Christianity when the troubles and trials of life come upon them. And he writes this, until the believer is in heaven, he or she must deal with the ramifications of living in a fallen world, including physical decay, disease, and natural disasters. Paul certainly had his share of all of these. Friends, listen, Paul did not preach the prosperity gospel. His life was filled with problems. I mean, just think about the last chapters in the book of Acts. He had been arrested, imprisoned for two years. He faced different trials. He faced an ambush. He's put on a ship. That ship immediately goes into bad weather. That same ship then becomes a shipwreck. And now he's on this island. He's doing some work. And a snake attacks him. Look at verse 3. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. You think, how did that happen? Well, vipers are cold-blooded. He's probably stiff, laying among the sticks. Paul probably didn't even see it. And as the heat warmed it up, it pounced and sunk its two long fangs filled with venom right into Paul's hand. Any of you getting squeamish at this point? Listen, Paul had just been delivered. Be natural for him to think, I can relax now. I'm good. I've gone through a bunch of hard stuff, but certainly things are going to be easy now. Well, Satan saw an opportunity here to attack Paul. It's a reminder for us, never let your guard down. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to what? Devour. Several years ago, a speaker at Iron Sharpens Iron, I wasn't able to go yesterday. How many of you guys went to Iron Sharpens Iron last week? A bunch of guys from Edgewood were there, yeah. Um, 
the speaker, this was three years ago, shared a very helpful acronym to alert us to the times when we're especially susceptible to temptation. See if this is true in your life. We need to have our guard up when we're hungry. I know some of you are hungry. I can hear your stomachs growling. But when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, and when we're tired. So here's this viper hanging from Paul's hand. And the cancel culture (laughs) turned on him, according to verse 4. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, these islanders were very superstitious. They're convinced that this viper was sent as payback for Paul's crimes. In that culture, a snake bite was a very bad omen. Would you note how certain they are? Like, they know. It says, no doubt. That's translated as assuredly convinced. Well, that's exactly what Job's friends did to Job. They were like, yeah, come on, Job. We know you did something wrong. Come on, fess up, Job. You wouldn't be scraping the boils off your skin with a broken piece of pottery unless you sinned big time. What is it, Job? We know you've sinned. Well, notice what happens next. Since Paul somehow escaped the god of the sea in their religion, that would be Neptune, the goddess known as Justice, do you see it's capitalized, was now going to lower the boom. So in Greek mythology, she was called Nemesis, believed to be the daughter of Zeus, and she worked through circumstances to enact divine retribution. I was thinking about that. This shows us that humans have an innate desire for justice. You see, that longing for justice can be a good bridge to the gospel message. You see, we all have a sense of fairness. Why? Because we're made in the image of God who is just himself. And justice demands that someone... Pay the price for our sins. Here's the good news of the gospel. God's justice was fully satisfied when Jesus absorbed our punishment on the cross. I've been experimenting with a greeting recently. I first heard this many years ago in my previous church, and I always liked it, and I thought, I'm going to start using this, but I never did. Do you ever do that? You think, I'm going to make a change, and then you don't make it? Well, recently, I started using it. Here's how it goes. Somebody says, hey, how you doing? And I've started to say these words, better than I deserve. Well, last week, I was out in the community. Somebody came up to me, and we did that kind of, hey, how are you? How are you? Kind of thing. So I said, I asked him, how are you? He volleyed back and said, how are you? To which I said, better than I deserve. He got a look on his face, and he said, well, what do you deserve? To which I replied, hell. (laughs) Well, it changed the course of that conversation 
in a hurry. But when you think about it, if we want justice in our own life, that's where we're all going. Right? It was R.C. Sproul who said, be careful about asking for justice in your life. You might just get it. You don't want justice in your life. What do you want? Mercy. You want mercy. Well, look at number five. (laughs) I love how Paul addressed this. Shake off problems if possible. Here's how Paul handled his issue with the snake. Verse five, he whoever shook off, however shook off the creature into the fire, suffered no harm. (laughs) He didn't seem too worked up about it. He just like, oh, there's a viper. He's done with it. So what's going on there? Well, I think Paul's demonstrating the dominion promised to us back in Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over what? Fish of the sea, birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That imagery also makes us think of a promise found in Psalm 91.13. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. That was in the mind of Jesus when he said this, Luke 10.19. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. My mind then went to the end of the book of Romans. Romans 16 verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Which took me to the end of the book of Revelation, which says that one day Satan will be flicked into the forever fires of the lake of fire. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Friends, God can do anything when you give him everything. Number six, hold a people's opinions lightly. (laughs) See, they're convinced that what Paul's going through is divine retribution for his sins. Verse six shows us how fickle they actually are. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, they saw no misfortune come to him. They changed their minds and they said that he was a god. So the poison of a viper would enter the bloodstream. It would break down the capillaries leading to massive internal bleeding and swelling. And the islanders knew from experience that a viper's bite caused inflammation extremely high fever, and then death. And so they're watching Paul. They got their eyes on Paul. We don't know this for sure, but here's how my mind works. I wonder if Paul is sitting down by the campfire and he's roasting some marshmallows. (laughs) He's humming some hymns. And all these islanders are staring at him. And after an hour or two, everyone's still staring. And now they're like, why hasn't this guy died yet? And with his mouth full of s'mores, he probably looked at the islanders and said, hey guys, what's up? Well, as they watched and waited, Paul remained whole and healthy. So now they go to the other side. They're like, well, he must be a god. So Paul quickly goes from a zero to a hero. One minute he's a degenerate, the next minute he is declared divine. That order's flipped in Acts 14 where Paul and Barnabas went from heroes 
to zeros, remember? They were first, people wanted to sacrifice to them and treat them as if they're gods. And then just a few verses later, they're ready to stone them. It's good for us to keep Proverbs 27, 21 in mind. When someone pays you a compliment, a man is tested by his praise. One person said this, they may pat you on the back today, only to locate a spot in which to insert a knife tomorrow. It seems <laughs> Paul didn't get too concerned when people turned on him. Let me just speak into a, our cultural moment, if I could, for a moment. Our culture seems to have turned on Christians. And we have seen more evidence of that just this week. I haven't had a lot of time to flesh this out, but, but let me just say this. Our own federal government has declared war against children by coming down in favor of the mutilation of minors, even suggesting that God is okay with this. What is up with that? I'm reminded of what John Stone Street said. If you're looking for a podcast, I have one for you. Breakpoint Commentary. John Stone Street has said this phrase over and over. I thought of it this week. Here's what he says. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have victims. Number seven. More about that some other point. Number seven, offer hospitality without grumbling. So while the people wanted to pounce on Paul and then give him praise, a government official simply offers hospitality to the refuge. I'm in verse seven. In the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. The chief man, who's that? Well, he's the governor of the island. That word for receive means to intentionally seize. It's like he took their hands and he brought them in to offer them hospitality. That word entertain was used of pitching a tent or providing lodging. Now, if you want to grow in this area, church, we have a window. Because in our culture, after two years of a lot of isolation, people are looking to connect. And certainly you can invite them to a service or to one of our groups here. But here's something at a level we can all do. Let's open up our homes. Let's practice hospitality. Uh, one book that I would recommend is by Rosaria Butterfield. It's called, I love the title, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. If you didn't catch that book title, just go to Sermon Extras and you'll see a link there. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Friends, God can do anything when you give him everything. Number eight, pray for people. One of the best things we can do is simply to pray for someone who's hurting. Once again, we see evidence of God's providence. Look at verse eight. It happened. Well, what happened? 
It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him, visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. <laughs> Notice how precise Luke is here. Well, here's why. He's a physician. He's a doctor. He says that he had a fever and dysentery. Dysentery were like stomach issues. Commentators believe this man was suffering from Malta fever, which was caused by a microorganism traced to goat milk. So Paul is present with people. Notice he prayed with people and for people. Note also these healings happened without regard to the faith of the faith of the one who was healed. I like the perspective of one pastor. The hand which was bitten by the viper and filled with venom is the same hand God used to heal Publius' father and the rest of the islanders. The harmed hand becomes the hand of healing. Some of you know all about that because God has healed you. He's brought you through an addiction. He's given you freedom over a sin. God has helped you process grief and you're looking for a way to help others going through grief. And you're looking for a way to help others find freedom. Number nine, be ready for open doors. Because Paul lived on mission and God healed this man, the word got around according to verse nine. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. That tense of the word came means they kept coming. So they hear about a healing and they're like, oh, I want one too. And everybody starts coming. News traveled quickly. Well, that happened when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, Luke 1. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Listen, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. A couple weeks ago, when we were outside, when the weather was nicer, uh, some of our neighborhood uh, kids were outside, and we decided to give them some treats. And so we gave two little girls some treats, and they were very thankful, and all of a sudden, two more kids showed up. Like, how, how did that happen? And while they were all there, we decided to give them some Easter books, the books that we were giving away here. And But we were careful to say, you know, go ask your parents if it's okay. So they took the books and showed their parents, and the parents said, sure, that's fine. A few minutes later, another neighborhood kid came up. We're outside, and he came up, and he's kind of kicking his feet a little bit, and he goes, I don't know what's going on here, but I sense something's happening in the neighborhood, and, and I don't know what it is. And so we told him, we gave him some candy, asked him if his dad would let him take the Easter books, and he did. So here's the principle. Once someone sees that Jesus is alive in your life, the word spreads to others. I like what John Wesley used to say, light yourself on fire and people will come from miles to watch you burn. (laughs) Interestingly, the Greek word for cured is the word therapeo, which means to be treated medically. It refers to a gradual cure. And this may help some of you if you're like, I don't want to go to the doctor, I'm just going to pray about it. Well, listen, sometimes God heals immediately, and he can and he does. God still heals today, no doubt. Other times he does so incrementally through medical means. 
And other times, God waits to heal us until we go to heaven. Perhaps Dr. Luke was involved medically while Paul was interceding in prayer for the patients, showing then how God uses both medical professionals and prayer. Number 10, give to those in need. Here's a helpful phrase to remember. Here it is. See a need, meet the need. Well, you can't meet every need you see, but there are many needs you can meet. See a need, meet that need. Verse 10, they also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. That word honor means to consider someone weighty, someone to be prized. The people were hospitable for three months on that island, and now the crew and the prisoner are about to board another ship headed to Rome, and when they're doing that, the islanders come and they bring whatever was needed. And listen, they needed a lot because their last ship was wrecked. God can do anything when you give him everything. 